Good afternoon, Tuscaloosa and Internet World. How are we doing today? Welcome in. This is another edition of the Joe Gaither Show right here on Bama Central and BamaCentral.com. You're watching us on the Bama Central YouTube page. You're watching it on my own Facebook page on Twitter at Joe Gaither 6. You can find me on all the social medias at Joe Gaither 6 right there. Send us your comments, questions, queries, and complaints. Welcome in. This will be another fun edition of the Joe Gaither Show on a Tuesday. Actually, it's going to be a recorded show. We will be on the road when this hits live at 1 p.m. We're on the road to Nashville. Myself, Katie Windham, Blake Byler, we're all headed up there with Austin Hand and Austin already up in Nashville watching SEC Media Days. Austin was in front of Greg Sankey yesterday, in front of Greg Sankey, Brian Kelly, Eli Drinkwitz, and Jimbo Fisher. So we're going to catch up with Austin today. We'll be up there later in the afternoon. Austin's going to hold down the fort while we get there because Wednesday, Wednesday is Alabama Day up at SEC Media Day. So we are very, very excited to get up there. Uh, but for now, we're going to have a fun Tuesday show. We want to invite you to listen to the program on Spotify, on Apple Podcasts, or on Amazon. You can also, again, Watch it if you want to visually see it on YouTube, on Facebook, on Twitter. Tell a friend about the program. We're having a lot of fun bringing in as many fun guests as we can. And I think we're going to have a fun guest today. One of my friends, we're going to be welcoming it. We're going to be joined by my friend, Mr. John DeWitt. John DeWitt joins us as he is the director of the director of athletic grounds at the University of Alabama. And the real reason why we're bringing on John DeWitt, not just because he's my friend, there is great news around Alabama football and facilities. So because, uh, you know, uh, we can go right to the uh, right to the director's mouth. We're going to hear about the new field at Bryant-Denny Stadium that, uh, that, that is just finishing ahead of the new season. We're going to hear about really all the challenges about athletic grounds because, John, I think a lot of people don't understand or don't know what goes into keeping the facilities beautiful. Good morning, John. Thank you so much for your time, and thanks for joining us. How are you doing today, sir? I'm doing pretty well. How about yourself? Oh, doing good, doing really good. I'm having a, having a good morning so far. We're ready to get on the road and get up to Nashville. I really appreciate you joining us today. John, we're, we're, I'm bringing you in because Brian Denny Stadium just completed, you just completed a huge project over the summer. Uh, Alabama's uh, getting ready to kick off a new season in 46 days. And so we got a new, new, new field. Can you tell us a little bit about what you've been working on? You and your team have been working on for the last however many months. I also want to know how long it's been taking, that sort of thing. Oh, man. Yeah, I mean, it really, the planning stages goes back almost like eight. 18 months ago um we're really in an overall 10-year uh plan of renovating all the fields and bryant denny was 31 years old so about the oldest also you know the mothership so it it's gonna get you know the first um it's gonna get to be the first one on the list of the different fields that uh we work with and um so yeah a lot of planning really like boots on the ground stuff happening in the stadium started february there was a small window between, you know, when all the contractual legal stuff got taken care of and a day. And uh, that team really crushed that window, did a bunch of like heavy, gnarly construction that no one will ever see. But it was maybe one of the hardest parts of the project. And that went on um, from February until a day. And then certain parts of it, like the irrigation had to get worked on, but then also had to still be usable because a day. Um, so they weren't able to just rip out all the old stuff. They had to keep it functional. And we'd be like two, three days uh, without water and then back, um, but which wasn't a big deal because that time of year, uh, 
but yeah, these guys have been at it since uh, February. Grass went down. Uh, I think they got done Wednesday night at 10 last week. We got our first mow on it yesterday. That's incredible. So for just the overview, people uh, who haven't seen, we have replaced the entire field at Brian Dewey Stadium, and not just the surface level of the field. Uh, I'm reading that down the depths of 30, uh, roughly 30 inches deep into the field uh, uh, is irrigation systems, pipes, is really everything that goes into this, the field was uh, a total overhaul, not just, hey, let's plant some grass, hey, let's plant some new seed, new sod. You guys are putting down Northbridge Bermuda grass, but more importantly, I'm reading about uh, I'm reading about a sub-air system underneath Brian Denny Stadium that will take Alabama really to the tip top uh, where you guys have always had us uh, with, with facilities. How challenging was it to uh, to really get that you know the depth of the of the system? And I'm reading also that Stanford is the only co- other college uh, football program that that has this system. Was there any consultation with the University of Stanford or any consultation about hey this is uh, the right steps that Brian Denny Stadium needs to take? Yeah, well, there's a lot there. Um, you want to start with the construction, and we'll move. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, specialty system. So basically. Everything within the gates of the the bowl of the field came out at like 22 inches deep. I think that was 20,000 tons of material that came out and came back in. That was like 900 dump trucks, which I don't know if you can hear like the noise. It's it's all good. um, Anyway, but right outside my door here, they broke the concrete. If people are familiar with the stadium, gate 57. They broke that concrete out to fit the dump trucks in, which was really a logistical thing that the other contractors that were bidding on the project just hadn't figured out. We were talking about having two different conveyors. You got to rent those. They're crazy expensive. Then they block your access. They were going to run one at both ends because they're unreliable and they tend to break down. So at any given time, probably only one of the two would be running. But these guys were like, hey, you know, (laughs) since we can't make the roof taller, let's make the floor lower. So and the grand scheme taking out that much concrete was no big deal. So, um, yeah, 22 inches, uh, that was about the root zone of the old field. So it's 22 inches of sand over like a geotextile in the native soil. Um, I like to say cheap Tuscaloosa's campground, uh, like under there, you know, I mean, like, yes, sir. Native soil, the original virgin undisturbed stuff. Um, and so the issue with that, it was a really deep root zone of 22 inches, but there was no gravel layer. And what the gravel layer think of like, marbles sitting on top of bowling balls right so that's like sand over our gravel so the bowling balls would represent all this extra pore space so that water at some point will get so heavy in the sand that gravity will just pull it right through into the open sport pore space of the gravel underneath the old system didn't have that it drained very well but it just you didn't ever get that complete flush um so we were coming back with our root zone is about 11 or 12 inches of sod and special sand that, you know, is tested and specced. And uh, actually, to, it came out of uh, Atlanta. And that's just a geography thing. Um, you know, you just wherever in the country you are, you got to deal with your sands. And sometimes it has to get trucked in from far away. And that was where we, we were on that. Um, and that's super, super important. I mean, the root zone is the field and the performance. So um, since it was 22 inches deep, we just came in with some road base and rock and just, you know, whatnot to fill up that void because our overall actual, you know, engineered root zone um, was like I was saying, 11 to 12 inches of sand side over four inches of gravel. 
Um, and so then that, that those other inches were made up with just fill. And so you talk about gate 57. The fans are never going to notice kind of the expanded gate. Is, is, is that, I'm just assuming, uh, the expanded gate to open up those dump trucks? Oh, yeah, we're pouring it back right now. And That's incredible. Gonna, you know, I mean, you'll never even know that occurred, really. That's right. Uh -huh. Uh, that, that is awesome. Well, well you, you talk about eighteen month long of the pro, uh, the process. Really, yeah, being the director of the athletic grounds, are you um, obviously there are decision makers and people? You know, the the powers to be, the money people. But how much input are you are, are you guys having with? Hey, this is what needs to be done. This is, these are the right steps that uh, that Brian Diddy Stadium needs to take to upgrade the playing the playing oh, surface. Man. I'm exceptionally blessed in that regard because so often. Um, administration or some guys you know field selling guy will be a buddy or get in with some administrators and sell them this system or this thing and they'll go down that path but really like you know putting a lot of pressure on myself <laughs> you know i mean i've been involved in every every part of the process and um really lucky in that i'm, I'm thinking to arkansas from a couple of years ago and it, sometimes it just happens that the renovation occurs at a, a transition. Um, the old guy there was retiring and new guy hadn't been brought in yet. So sometimes the project just falls where there's kind of a lack of uh, that position um, being there to guide things. So, you know, they rebuilt their entire field a couple of years ago and then came back and put synthetic sidelines in a year or two later. Well, we've, you know, we've had the benefit too of seeing some of these projects going on and learn uh, from the different things. So we took, um, and uh, synthetic sidelines is catching on in the SEC. Um, I'm thinking A&M has a depth. They've kind of got a unique sort of surround. Ole Miss has kind of very similar to what we're doing. Um, overall, our field was based on an NFL model. The architects that we used, um, I think they were, they were, their client list was amazing, but I think they worked with uh, the Raiders in, in Vegas and, and stuff. But anyway, we looked at, you know, like Google Maps of, um, you know, different uh, fields and um, it, it was based on an NFL model. So uh, that's why you see like the kind of an interesting little thing. So we have the synthetic sidelines and then there's a 20 by 21 foot box in each um, synthetic sideline for the kickers to warm up which is kind of like uh, a, something we picked up from the NFL. Um, it's going to be kind of a bear to maintain. I'm not super excited about that. <laughs> I mean, you, you have to do that, you know, to give those guys, you know, some, you know, otherwise they're practicing kicking on synthetic, which isn't going to match their conditions when they hit the field. Absolutely. So, um, What's the advantage of having a synthetic sideline versus the entire field continuity? Is it a cost to, or, or a maintenance issue? What, what, what is the, uh, what goes into the synthetic sideline? Um, just, you know, the pressure for people to get closer to the fields, donors, social media, you know, every, it's the field, man. People want to get closer to the field, which just makes my job hard. You know, I mean, it, my job's hard as it is, but like the thing is the time to do our work because somebody's shooting a commercial at Bryant Denny or, you know, this or that. I think mean, a couple of years back with the, the bachelorette or whatever came out. Well, I mean, that's a day of work I lost because, you know, there was a, a television show going on out there. Um, that's kind of unrelated. But so anyway, the point is the crush of people trying to get close to the field. And so the synthetic sidelines just 
you know, they just wear and tear. It can take that. Um, see, every year it's more gear for the trainers, more gear for the uh, equipment managers and the synthetic, you know, the air conditioned benches that we have. So it allows, um, you know, that's just not on grass like it was in the past. And it's very hard to maintain and keep those um, areas not muddy and disgusting. There's a lot of complaints you hear from people. You know, if it's a rainy game, the field drains good, but the sidelines don't. Even if they're built well, which a lot of times they're not, <laughs> just the compaction from all the traffic over there. And so we just felt, and for example, we let the Tide Pride people come out and take pictures um, before the games. Now that all means synthetic instead of like before they had to come in through a gate, walk on the grass, and then take their picture and leave. And that's, man, that's a mob of people. And now it's really almost like a safety thing too, a little bit, you know, because these people are going to have a, like their own gate going to come on the synthetic, take their picture and leave. And they're not going to be traipsing around compacting the corners, you know, with, uh, like receivers, you know, catching, doing a route out that way. <laughs> uh, that is incredible. Oh. I would not have even uh, imagined the impact of the people on the sidelines kind of t- uh, go, uh, going through the, uh, the, the, the entirety of the field. That's incredible. Yeah. So all that used to be grass. It's hard to maintain. Yeah. Um, so now, like, our air-conditioned benches probably will stay in position, but from game to game, they don't have to move off because of, uh, you know, the natural grass. It'll help us, too, from a maintenance standpoint uh, with the blankets, which was one of the real driving factors behind trying – Coach Saban doesn't like ryegrass. feels like it's slick, and, I, I mean, I can't disagree with him. Um, and so with the playoff picture expanding into possibly December 17th, trying to keep those field conditions good, you got to run – you know, cover the field with a blanket, keep it warm. And then the sub air will help us with that too. Um, but now with the, it used to take us as much time to kind of get the blankets onto the field and on the sidelines, just that step as it did to get them on the actual field surface. And so now um, we'll just, we'll store those on the synthetic and then be able to roll them. It'll give us a lot of more flexibility, which is ultimately better for the team. Right. Um, so you just hit uh, really two of my next notes. The uh, one, Coach Saban's attitude towards towards facilities. Yeah, uh, I wanted to ask uh, really how particular people, you know, to think about how process oriented he is, uh, how particular he is with the facilities staff. And then secondly, you talk about the playoff picture and how well the field will be maintained in uh, late November, December. How much of a how much of an eye for the playoffs was, uh, you know, the decision making? We got to make make the grass, uh, make sure the grass looks good, make sure it's playable, and you know, have everybody uh, look good on TV in December. Well, so when we were researching this, it was in our minds, and you know, I was talking to administrators, so if, you know, um, I don't, you know, Greg's on, you know, on the board, and you know, high level, obviously, in the world of athletics. So if anybody's going to know, and during the planning uh, process, it was funny. You know, it came out that, yes, indeed, you know, everybody knew it was probably getting expanded, but we didn't know. No. Right. And then while we were in the planning stages, boom, it dropped. It's like, yes, the playoffs expanding to a home. So that's was really we had already been researching the sub air and the different systems of that to stretch our season. But when uh, it was fully, you know, confirmed that playoffs were uh, expanding, that 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 kind of was the final you know push to put some of these extra systems in place. Um, and you would know, I don't really follow sports, but I mean, you would know that, right? Like, so if last season had occurred in what, 20, 
five, um, we would have hosted a game here on the 17th. So, I mean, there, there, there's all your, there's all your reasonings as to behind what we did, you know, and why we're doing what we're doing. And, and how much interaction or how much input does Coach uh, Saban really have on, okay, we, we want to keep the grass at this site or we want to keep – obviously, he, we got Northbridge Bermuda. You talked about him, him not liking ryegrass. What is his attention to detail like with Bryant-Denny Stadium and then even over at Malmore Facility where, where you guys are mowing the grass, what, three, four times a week? Yeah, um, you know, I guess I don't really have um that much interaction with him um i deal with um ellis from uh kind of a scheduling i deal with him on the schedule i deal with jeff uh springer on like the the more the field conditions like you know the fields kind of fall under the equipment umbrella and um so um i guess they're happy with what we're doing because we had you know i mean in athletics you know, no news is good news, right? Yes. The only reason someone's talking about me on TV is because the field's not good, right? I mean, uh, you know, think of the Super Bowl. Field wouldn't have been mentioned one time had they not had issues, right? So, um, yeah, Coach doesn't um, – I'm really – this is a great, great program to work with. I, I call it setting the table and walking away. Um, I know when and what and how. I know everything about what they're doing. So that allows me to set the table for them exactly like I – they like it. I'm like, I don't have time to sit there and watch practice, man. I got to go be working on baseball, soccer, softball, what, you know, other things um, and run this program. But they allow me to set the table. Be, You know, other programs um, just aren't as dialed in as we are. Um, and that makes the groundskeeper have to jump or coach will have an idea. Hey, let's, you know, let's bring some big loudspeakers and go do have a run at the rec center. And guy will decide that on a Sunday morning. So he has to get out there like Sunday afternoon, Monday morning early, and get that all set up for, eh, I mean, what's that really gaining your program overall other than running your people into the ground? You know, where's Coach Aitman? It's like, hey, Monday we're going to be on field three and we're going to do this. Yes, you are, you know. <laughs> so um, in that regard, you know, no news is good news. And I know what they want, you know, and I, I provide – I do my best to provide that for him and we just we, we go everybody does their role and goes about their business there are three full fields at the mount Moore center with this with the two uh with the two synthetic fields as well so it's five total well so it's about seven acres you have field one you have field two and you have field three which has like a little rump on it a little quarter field that mostly just gets used for strength and conditioning and real aggressive drills like ladders and stuff that you wouldn't want on your playing surface. And then the indoors, like about a field and a third. Um, so yeah. And they have, and this is once again, why coach Saban is such a great guy to work. He as my, I mean, I'm talking to him directly, but it's my understanding it's, it's him that drives and understands the grass. And it's like, they have a strict rotation schedule to, you know, I mean, a lot of times the groundskeeper like me is asking the coach to do that and they just refuse. And I'm going to, you know, um, they either big league you or just are obstinate or, you know, so there's a lot of reasons. But yeah, no, Coach Saban, as I understand, actually is the one that has set these in place to use the acreage that we have out there. So it lasts and does, which makes my job easier. You know, I mean, I. So, yep, we're back. 
Oh, yes, no, it's all good. I uh, um, uh, just uh, a little quick glitch. It's no, it's no big deal. We uh, we're talking to John DeWitt, director of athletic grounds here at the University of Alabama, mainly because Brian Denny Stadium just underwent a huge stadium renovation, a huge field renovation project. But John, you're over everything at, at, at the University of Alabama, not just football. You're over everything, and you and your team have won multiple awards. Uh, most recent one I'm seeing is the 2021 College Softball Field of the Year. You guys have been really uh, at the forefront of making tip-top facilities just. How difficult and just how packed and how crazy is the schedule once really uh, once really things get rolling? Man, it's it's just year round, um, you know, and then COVID threw a monkey wrench and things, and it's just in the NCA changes. You know, you, you get on a program and recruiting windows are this. But everything's always, it's always more. It's always one more camp. It's always one more this. Or NCAA allows practice to start three days earlier. And, you know, it's death by a thousand paper cuts. You know, it's not like, hey, you can practice all summer, but they're doing it three days at a time until, hey, man, you know, I, football is really only off in May, which is not a great grass growing weather <laughs> month. And so and so what do you do? Um, it, it's, it's difficult, man. Like um, three of my guys uh stayed through or four of you guys stayed through the night we reached the practice fields uh they came in at 6 p.m and left at like three in the morning three days in a row boom 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 i usually work the days because there's you know i gotta manage the the operation and that you know <laughs> those are people hours right i can't like work till three and then be all strung out and messed up the next day trying to field phone calls and handle stuff um and you know the so uh, yeah, and then this weekend, I think we worked 12 hours uh, Saturday, Sunday. Yesterday, I came in at 5.15 left at 6 p.m. That's, oh. that's just a random Monday, you know? Um, so we really uh, – and success is good, but it's also a lot of work. You know, I mean, you think, like, really, this last year was tough. Soccer started – they were number one in the country for however long. Well, those postseason games, man, are on a, like, football weekend. So we're hosting a football game, which takes all week to paint. 12-hour days straight up any big football game that there ever is. And then Sunday, you know, playoff game for soccer. And then uh, softball is just perennially good. So you go softball uh, regional, softball super regional, baseball super regional that we hadn't hosted in like 14 or something years, you know. And so just um, some people weren't familiar with what all that entails, you know. And, and then just – and, man, I think the first day of uh, baseball regional – football uh camp season started well man you know i mean when, when do you take a breath <laughs> it's a lot it really is oh just incredible i mean yeah i guess we're happy when basketball and gymnastics season is going uh just a touch because that's uh, leave that to the indoor facility guys maybe <laughs> yeah spring is spring is really brutal oh. and, uh, you know fall football is is, is tough kind of the toughest thing is trying to get football fan and trying to do and we just it's great the success we've had in bringing more students, but the more students on campus, like I have other places. So, I mean, like 25, 30 minute loss just to physically get from Bryant Denny to baseball, you right. know? Right. So, um, try to have everything self-contained and, and avoid just actually I've been blessed with like good logistics and that helps us in, in that regard. But man, you could piddle away hours just driving through campus. <laughs> 
John, you hit earlier on the Super Bowl and the and the, and the issues that they had with their field. The, uh, what I read after the game was the uh, the field got watered and then rolled back into the uh, rolled back into the stadium and basically sat there and molded. Uh, what goes into that? Like, it's the biggest game of the year, isn't that something that is it kind of absurd to have happened? Um, I'm a try not to comment on that. Too much. You and I can talk offline because I think I have the actual scoop. But, um, uh, okay. <laughs> uh, you remember there was a national championship in that building a couple years ago, more than a couple, like 10, Auburn? Remember? Uh, Auburn and Auburn, Oregon, Auburn, yes. Was it Phoenix? Or, yes. Yeah. And remember it was slipping and sliding? So I think they've had like kind of a – the building's cool. The grass is outside. It's hot. It comes inside. You can condensate that sets up. So – um there were a lot of things involved in the Super Bowl, but it just goes to show, too, just how, like, this, at that level, it's way beyond groundskeeping. Even, like, here, you know, the political and the backstabbing and, like, the people vying for position and contract. I mean, it, it's, man, it's tough. So, and it's unfortunate, right, you know, because sometimes the best decisions for the field, for the players, for the grass doesn't get made because of all the intrigue that none of us know unless you work in the business. Yeah, I, I'm reading uh, the paint job on the field, kind of maybe people wanted particular paint on the field, and uh, I guess the outgoing groundskeeper wanted it one way and the ingoing groundskeeper wanted it another way. I just uh, can't imagine, for you guys and your staff, isn't it always or hopefully about the safety of the players and the competition on the field and really the conditions that make for a fair and good game? Uh, I mean, I mean that's what that's what everybody's <laughs> striving for. But um, you know, when, I don't want to you know upset, but I mean the, the NFL's its own its own thing. You know, sure. like the halftime show, from, you know what I understand, just just dominates. You know, they want to have like five practices during the week, and you're talking, you know, I, I haven't watched Super Bowl in a couple of years, but you know, I mean they flood the field with people with the LED lights and all. I mean they're like stomping around out there for five days, man. I mean like. When do you get the field ready? Uh, you, you don't because, you know, whatever big star uh, in, in the moments out there practicing her her bit wow. or his bit, you know, yeah. friends. Okay. And with that, I think that answers uh, or brings me to uh, another question or another comment about Bryant Denny Stadium. I think a lot of people have over the last 10 years. Why doesn't Alabama host concerts? Auburn has concerts at their stadium. <laughs> you, do you... It's my understanding. We like when I first got here, um, they, they, they looked into it um, like an artist. I don't know if it's driven by the artist or a producer or a you know, production, there's a lot of layers to all that, right? Wanted to have one. The main, just like the field construction, logistics. Uh, what's trailer Swift's traveling around with 77, 18 wheelers, something like that. Um, we had the Rolling Stones at Georgia Tech when I worked there, downtown, middle of Atlanta, 55, 18 wheelers. That crap's got to get in the building in three to four days. You know, I mean, they've got it all figured out what, how to make the money, right? And it's got to get in there in three to four days and it's got to get out in two. And they haven't quite, crack that nut here yet um sure. because you know if you're gonna have a you're gonna have a taylor swift style, size stage in this building if you're gonna do something right and it just takes time to build and then time to get out well john i've really enjoyed our conversation this morning i really appreciate you hanging out with us on the joe Cather show on BamaCentral.com. 
Alabama hosting uh, hosting MTSU on September 2nd. I think I read a comment uh, in an article uh, in an interview that you did about, oh, what happens if you're not ready? And your comment was, no chance we're not ready. Just the uh, just kind of the pressure that you guys felt or felt, uh, felt to really make sure this project went off without a hitch or got done in time for Alabama's new season. Well, I just found out last night our uh, mutual buddy, uh, Ken Urban, has – he told me he, last night he's been praying for us all along. And I'm like, man, it's it's been working because it has run so smooth uh, yeah. that I've been scared to talk about how smooth it's running. <laughs> I'm kind of a Murphy's Law believer, which I guess probably is con- in conflict with my faith. But, uh, no, a little – you know, it's like baseball, right? You don't talk about certain things, especially sure. game time. You know, boy, this game's going fast. Oh, no, why? So there's a lot of that in athletics, but uh, it literally has gone so smooth. It, it, it's been concerning at times. We're not completely done yet, but the grass is in. You could play a game on it right now. Just like, so the irrigation line to the field, it's installed, all that's there. Now we're running heat trace and insulation on it, you know, s- stuff like that. But I mean, the, the big picture is there and it's just fine tuned. So, uh, but uh, yeah, we're using some contractors I met in 2002. They do great work, Precision Turf out of Atlanta. Um, used them a lot at Georgia Tech just because they were in my backyard. Um, total state bid thing, they, they won. And uh, that was a, just a real relief when they got it. So um, it's, it's been going really well and I got to tip my cap to them. I, I think my last question about the field is kind of the real comparisons to a putting green. I, we all know Coach Saban loves to <laughs> loves to play some golf, and I terribly like to play some golf. So can I get out there and putt in the end zone? Uh, only if you want to get like assaulted with your putter. <laughs> I'll take it from your hand and kneecap you. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I love that. Oh, oh, just the just how nice the grass is it's just i mean uh, northbridge bermuda any what, what, what characteristics does it really have and how fast will, will we be on the field this year so we mow pretty much year round at 625 which is not even fairway height anymore right i mean they think they're at a half and, and, and so forth but um the shade issues that we deal with um in the stadium but so the northbridge was hybridized to be more shade tolerant recover quicker and um stay greener longer so that's that's how we uh what there's a lot of these fields in the nfl the north bridge the guy travis at kansas city does an amazing job his stuff looks amazing he's got a sub air unit too uh, i think he also has the heat trace which we didn't need here um in tuscaloosa because their climate's obviously better than kansas city but anyway um so it's got a really fine and tight leaf texture um which actually affects the paint it, it paints differently than 419 it had a coarser uh, blade, but they, I mean, it's just so dense and tight, um, and recuperates just crazy fast. Like, um, like divots that, you know, on, on 419, what we had before I'd see a divot and I mean, I'll maybe look at that for the whole rest of the season with this, um, Northbridge, it could grow in by the next game, even if it's, you know, seven days. So. Well, you, well, you guys are amazing, and uh, y'all work tirelessly, and really, in my opinion, under under thanked. A lot of fans get out there on Saturday night and say we're all tired, but they don't realize how much really goes into it. Uh, softball weekends, three game series, five game sets, all kinds of uh, baseball at the same time. Just 
tireless work for you and the grounds crew at the University of Alabama. And, and I want to just extend thanks for the fans. Thank you for joining me. Anything that I might have missed or any interesting points about the project that, uh, that, that you, you, may, you may want to uh, highlight before we get, get finished? Well, so, yeah, we never did get on the, the sub-air unit too much. Uh, yes. That, that is pretty fascinating. So that's getting commissioned today. Their company is coming in from South Carolina and doing startup. That's going to take the rest of the week. There's 8,000 linear feet of pipe under the Brian Denny. So basically, there's a, <laughs> at least a six-inch pipe every 10 feet. Wow. And then we're able to vacuum and then blow air back up through. Um, and we did extensive research. Um, our architects actually ran. There's only like really one competing system and those guys have been it's what we had before and those guys have kind of been out of the marketplace um but i like um i traveled to miami to look at a system because they had one on their practice field and in their stadium and just the number of um people that had them and we called or met with them and they were all very satisfied even colorado who's getting a new one theirs was 25 years old didn't have the touch screen like phone capability they had to do it all manually but it still worked almost entirely like it was intended and the repeat customers like Miami, they had one in the stadium. They liked it so well. They put it at their practice field. Cleveland had one. The owner of the Browns has one at the practice field, liked it so well. They put it in the soccer stadium. stadium the awesome. So, you know, a repeat customer speaks volumes. And yes. so we've been, we developed a relationship with these guys. They want to succeed. Um, they want us to succeed. And uh, it's been a good partnership and we're really excited about that. Probably, I, I think it'll take me two, three years to really learn how to use it to, to maximize performance. Um, but yeah, that, I guess that's it. So, so no more helicopters flying over the field. To uh, I, <laughs> I mean, that, that was about one of the coolest things ever. But uh, yes. Uh, yeah. And it, in my opinion, it was just such a. So I you know, left the stadium to go visit a buddy of mine and the sidewalks were sweaty and the bill, you know, it was just one of those days, just everything. And inside the stadium, I felt like, uh, I mean, it, it, it helped, <laughs> you know? So, um, well, that, that was an awesome story. What was that three, four years ago? Yeah. They, they flew in the, they flew the helicopter, but I think it was before an Auburn game. Yeah. yeah. Before Auburn. Yeah. Well, we had had several games leading up to that, that had just been misty rain. And then, uh, one of those kicks was like 11 AM. Um, and then we were down like 10 to something to the Citadel. So, I mean, there, you know, there were some things, you know, more, you know, it was just people were uptight. Let's put it that way. You know? so. On that train and just kind of a, a, off the wall, Auburn has often been accused of, you know, watering down the field before you play Alabama a lot of times over the last handful of years. Uh, if they install the sub air system, can they soak the field and make it? Can they keep it nice and wet for uh, to give themselves a home field advantage? I just an off the wall thought. Um, I, as I understand it, and I'm actually pretty good friends with Eric. Um, he's, I mean, just a good dude. Been there for a long, long time. But um, and I just want to be the guys within the SEC are so helpful, man. Like if we're dealing with a political issue or a, usually the grass stuff, we've got handled because we're all good and professionals. But it's usually just navigating university policies and this and that. There's a text thread, and man, you'll get you'll get responses lickety split on guys trying to help you out. Um, but yeah, I think they're maybe going to renovate their stuff next year, and they're going to actually, as I understand it now, potentially go in with a competitor that we did not. So we went sub air. They're I think going to go maybe with the Moats Group. Is well, what I'm hearing, but you know, you hear a lot of things. I'll have people at church tell me what we're doing at Bryant Denny. They don't know who I am, and, like, <laughs> and then someone will elbow that guy and be like, "Hey, bro, you know, that's." 
that guy knows for real. <laughs> He's kind of in charge. He's kind of over yeah. everything. Yeah, that's awesome. John, this has been a pleasure. I, I, I know you probably have a huge day ahead of you as far with with maintenance and facilities. I know uh, Alabama is getting started with fall camp in like two weeks. So everything is really right ramp, ramping up yeah, for you guys. They're looking good. Just drove those this morning. Yeah. So, but I mean, you got strength and conditioning three, four, five days a week outside on the grass. You got seven on seven, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, you know, so those fields aren't resting, you know, they're getting used and then it's going to really start. So, oh, good luck to you. You're going to be very, very busy, you and your team. And I really appreciate your time. I hope uh, everybody can appreciate uh, the, the, the new field in Bryant D Stadium. Hopefully, we'll have a new playoff game there in, in December and we can uh, enjoy the field, enjoy the turf all the way, you know, for another 30 years over there in Bryant D Stadium. That was the intent to build for a 25, 30 year solution. Yep. Absolutely. John, I hope you have a great day. Thank you so much for joining me today. Good to see you. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Awesome. That's that's John DeWitt. That's my friend, John DeWitt. Look, I've known him for a handful of years, and he is a great guy. Look, it's totally understated his role, totally understated his impact at the University of Alabama. Uh, look, he talked about working overnight, working 12-hour days. Yes, Nick Saban works 12-hour days as well. All of the football players work very, very hard, but it takes a lot. It takes an army. It takes a lot of people to make things happen at Brian Dean Make things happen at the Rhodes House, at Sewell Thomas Stadium. Look, you do not understand. You get out to the Rhodes House and you see that beautiful grass. You see those girls diving catches. You see it on the, on Bryant Denny Stadium as, as well. Look, you got to make sure the facilities uh, are, are at tip top shape. And Alabama takes great, great pride in that. So I appreciate John DeWitt joining me on the program to, to highlight really the six and a half million dollar renovation. Six and a half million dollar renovation. And you guys are going to be in there, what, September 2nd? And you're going to say, oh, nothing, nothing looks any different. The field doesn't look any different, but the players will notice it. And everything, the, the, the maintenance will be uh, a lot smoother, I believe, uh, for really the athletic staff. And for uh, for the players, so really appreciate John DeWitt joining me, uh, athletic head of athletics grounds at the University of Alabama, in charge of a massive project. He's an eighteen month long project from start to finish, planning phase to finish. Uh, they finished a couple days ago. They're still installing some of the uh, other components. Great to visit with my friend John DeWitt. And if you missed any of that, tell a friend. Uh, you can watch it on YouTube. You can watch it on uh, Facebook, on Twitter. Tell a friend about the uh, conversation. If you have anybody interested in the grass, look, the uh, Super Bowl field got tons, tons of uh, uh, kind of uh, scrutiny because of how, na how poorly it performed and poorly it held up. And I think John uh, highlighting some of the challenges that the groundskeepers have going into into the, into, uh, into Super Bowl week. I didn't even think about uh, the halftime practices, halftime show, how that would affect the field quality. All right, so we want to transition just a little bit because in a little bit, a uh, couple hours, I'm driving up to Nashville. I'm driving up to Nashville. Well, actually, I believe I'm riding. Thank you, Katie Windham and Blake Byler. I'm riding with our friends Katie Windham and Blake Byler to Nashville to meet our man Austin Hannon, who is already up at SEC Media Days. He's going to be uh, covering all things for us at uh, – uh, in Nashville today while we travel up there. I believe it's Georgia day-to-day. -day. What will Kirby Smart say? How many questions will Kirby Smart get asked about the driving records in Athens, get asked about the domestic violence records in Athens? They're having uh, a little bit of a time of scrutiny, a little bit of a time of drama, obviously. Hate. Oh, that tragedy struck Georgia with the uh, with the young man and staffer who passed away in a car accident just after their championship parade. You wonder... 
what Kirby Smart's really going to be doing about uh, about that issue. But I want to talk about yesterday at SEC Media Days before we uh, really turn it over to Tuesday because, look, I'm recording this program early on Tuesday, and that is A-OK. We love it. Uh, we love it. We want to talk – I want to talk about two comments from yesterday. We talked about Greg Sankey on yesterday's program. Greg Sankey taking 35, 40 minutes at the podium, and we talked about that on yesterday's program. You can listen to it on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon, really anywhere that you get your podcast or watch it on YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter. We talked about Greg Sankey yesterday. Then we had our show. As we were having our show, Brian Kelly, Jimbo Fisher, and Eli Drinkwitz hit the microphone. Uh, And I want to talk about a Brian Kelly comment, and I want to talk about a Jimbo Fisher comment. Let's start with the SEC Western champs. Let's start with uh, Brian Kelly. Brian Kelly gets up to the podium and says, it's our goal to beat Alabama and Georgia. Well, Brian Kelly, you beat Alabama last year, yes, in overtime, going for two. Uh, You beat Alabama last year. Failed, obviously got your butt kicked in the SEC championship game from uh, by Georgia. Let me play this one-minute clip from Brian Kelly, and then we will react to his comments. Alabama and Georgia are the benchmark for what we're looking for, and, and what is that in particular? It's consistency and performance year in, year out. We did it one time. So we're not in that conversation at this point. So um, what we're hoping that it catapults us to is a more consistent football program that is competing for championships year in and year out. We don't want any dips in our programs at all. Um, and, and I think when, when you look at it from a tangible standpoint, what it did for us is it helps us in recruiting that we don't have to paint a narrative that, that's not true. In other words, we can say, look, we're going to compete with Alabama. Um, we're, we're going to be able to beat Alabama. It's not a fantasy. It's a reality. And so there is some tangible evidence there that you can use in recruiting. But the rest of it is really about it giving you momentum for consistency and performance. All right, so there's Brian Kelly yesterday talking about consistency and performance. Where have you heard that before? What well, sounds like one Nick Saban to me. Um, honestly, I, I, I hear that and I get a little bit um, – I'm concerned. I'm concerned – well, my my concern level is up. It's a little higher than, than, it, than it was. Look, LSU, Brian Kelly, he's like uh, – he's so calm, cool, collected. Look, when he was at Notre Dame, a lot of people got to give him a lot of hell because he never could beat Alabama because uh, – what? Played Alabama twice and got their butt kicked twice in play, uh, once in the playoffs, once in the 2012 BCS National Championship game. Look, Brian Kelly had not competed with Alabama previously, but last year he takes LSU and really look. You look at their their game last year against Florida State in the, the opener, and I thought, oh my gosh, this team is not good. Jaden Daniels, he's out here looking like a fool. Keishon Boutte, they can't get on the same page. They're fumbling punts left and right. They, they, they played a poor game in their opener against Florida State, but Brian Kelly really took LSU and got him from point A to up 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 up, up, up to point to, to point Z through the end of the year, beating Alabama, winning the SEC West. LSU improved, marketably improved throughout the entire season. Um, and obviously beating Alabama at, at home was uh, not a fun thing, but you got to give the LSU Tigers some props. And for Brian Kelly to come back and say, oh, we did it one time, it's not good enough. Look. Reminds me of contrast. Oh, contrast a bit. It contrasts a bit with 2019 LSU. LSU beats Alabama in 2019, and Ed Orgeron lives off of it the rest of his life or the rest of his tenure at LSU. Uh, we beat Alabama. We went. We're gonna come to their house and beat them. You know, no. 
they did that. Obviously, good job, good job, Joe Burrow. You had a generational talent. I, but but I don't know that Ed Orgeron really took that win and um, and carried it past. Look, they won the national championship that year because they were very talented. But I'm not sure that that hunger, I'm not sure that that drive really stayed within the LSU program. It sounds like Brian Kelly realizes, okay, we beat Alabama once last year. We won the SEC West. But obviously, the Georgia bar is a little bit higher. We got to get high, uh, more consistent performance. We got to play a little bit better. We got to develop more depth and and recruit at a high level. Brian Kelly sounds like an assassin in that clip. In, in that clip, very cool, calm, collected. Didn't really seem like he was reading his press clippings like Coach o Orgeron. Didn't really seem like he was buying his own hype, and that. Makes me a little bit concerned going into the 2023 season. Yeah, you uh, you you heard me last week on the program talking about best quarterbacks in the SEC. I think Jaden Daniels is a really dangerous quarterback. Yeah, I, I put him at number one, and we'll see if he ends up performing at that number one level throughout the entire season. But Brian Kelly just uh, gives me a little bit of the hey, man. Uh, just the, the the lack of emotion, really. The lack of emotion, the clear, concise direction, the understanding that hey, we beat Alabama last year in overtime by uh, you know on, on a two point conversion. I think he realizes that while it's not a fluke, he realizes that it could the game could have gone either way. Brian Kelly basically saying LSU needs to continue to get better, uh, continue to build a, a, in order to keep competing in the SEC. And that is a little bit um, unnerving uh, considering how, how much success Brian Kelly had in his first year. Now we look through his schedule. We look through the LSU schedule. Again, they're playing uh, Florida State to get to open up the season. And I think that's going to be one of the best openers uh, of the year, really. Uh, you're playing Florida State to open up the season, and then you get into win against Grambling State, probably win against Mississippi State. Then you're at Arkansas. Like this 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 schedule, uh, it kind of holds up nicely. I, I, I think it holds up nicely for for uh, for LSU to get off the ground at a one, two, three, four, probably five or six game. Look, they can get into Alabama if they beat Florida State. If you beat Florida State and you go to Ole Miss and you win, then you're really looking at an undefeated season coming to Bryant Stadium on November fourth. And so I think Alabama is going to have to be really, really uh, prepared for LSU to bring everything. Look, I know everybody wants to get big revenge over LSU, but you have to be prepared for a knockdown drag out. I think classic Alabama LSU matchup here in Bryant-Denny Stadium, November the 4th. All right, let's transition to the other clown coach on the microphone yesterday. Uh, not Eli Drinkwood, sorry, but uh, Jimbo Fisher. Jimbo Fisher, uh, look, you can feel however you want to feel about him. Congratulations for beating Alabama two seasons ago, making more uh, tenure at Texas A&M right there on that win. You're going to have to do more for the Aggie faithful to uh, keep them happy. Obviously, they basically forced you to hire Bobby Petrino and get a more modern on offense. Yesterday at the podium, yesterday at the podium, head coach Jimbo Fisher was asked about hiring Bobby Petrino and asked about really these strong personalities that have uh, that have all lighted in the Texas A&M coaching staff. This is Bobby. Uh, this is Jimbo Fisher talking about really the plan going forward and working with Bobby Petrino. Jimbo, you got several former head coaches on your staff. Mm -hmm. Bobby Petrino being the latest you've brought in. A lot of very, um, I guess you could say, very upfront personalities. Mm -hmm. How do you deal with that in the in the coaching staff room when a lot of people, I mean, a lot of us, including myself, wonder how that's all going to work out if it gets into a volatile situation? A volatile? Why would it be in a volatile situation? 
Guys, coach, have you, have you ever been in any in any staff room that didn't that doesn't have arguments or disagreements? Every coaching staff in America has an argument or a disagreement. That's part of it. But no, it's just I'm the boss. We're the boss. We'll do it at the end of the day. But you listen to everybody's opinion. Everybody can voice their opinion. I, I want guys with opinion. I want guys who have knowledge. I want guys who make you think. I want guys to create different uh, narratives that brought to the table that can help us. I think that's the I think it's the best thing you have. And I think that's one of the reasons. Some of the reasons you hired them to do different scenarios and different things like that. But as far as that, we all have great respect for each other, and it's been tremendous. We've had great we've had great response and haven't had any issues. By Petrino, I think this is the first time he's been an assistant since 2002, so he's used to calling plays, mm-hmm. being the guy in charge. You, you've been calling plays for probably mm-hmm. forever. So what's the dynamic going to be like on game day? Does he have total freedom to call the plays, and kind of how will that work? And is it hard for you to give up, you know, play calling? No, it, it, there's a lot of things, and you're still involved in what goes on. I'm not going to get into – what we're doing, how we're doing it. Again, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not trying to avoid anything. I just don't want to create you, – you create advantages or narratives out there for what goes on. But, listen, I, Bobby was hired for a reason, and he's a tremendous coach and tremendous guy and a tremendous uh, football mind, tremendous recruiter. He's done a great job recruiting since he's been there, uh, everything he does. And uh, now he'll call a lot of – I mean, hopefully he'll call the game. We'll have suggestions on things we do, and whether it's offense, defense. Every coach is always involved. That's, it's a more collective thing than people want to give it room for. And then, when, but when you get to college and you get on a roll, you got to have a guy that can do it. And I think Bobby can definitely do that, and doesn't as well as anybody in college football. I have great respect for me and him. I've always we've had a great admiration for each other for a long time, and his knowledge and his production and what he's done. That's Jimbo Fisher talking real yesterday, talking around Bobby Petrino. Look, Coach Petrino is a great offensive mind, and, and Jimbo has had a reputation of being a good quarterback coach for, for a long, long time. Obviously, I think a lot of people think that his offense has grown stale over the last year or two. It's going to be interesting to see how that plays out. Look, Jimbo wouldn't commit to Bobby Petrino calling the plays, but admits that uh, that, that he's going to obviously have input, and you don't bring him in without without wanting him to have input. Look, it's... It's going to be interesting to see the two guys play out. I, I think you might have a little bit of a uh, little bit of a Jim, a little bit of a Saban Kiffin kind of aspect. I know that Saban was a defensive head coach and not an offensive head coach, but you might you're probably going to see. I you know I predict today and now probably has some blowups on the sidelines between Jimbo and Bobby Petrino, and maybe well maybe the way to avoid that will Petrino stay up in the uh, stay up in the booth. It's going to be interesting. Look, there's a lot of fun storylines in the SEC, and I think that uh, A&M's uh, offensive kind of approach is one of them. A&M with that huge buyout still for Jimbo Fisher. Like, what's good enough? What do they? What do the Aggies faithful want? I mean, you beat you beat you beat Alabama last se- or two seasons ago. Excuse me, two seasons ago, and didn't go to the SEC championship. You haven't been to the SEC championship since you've been in the conference. What's that? 2014. So you haven't been been, been in the SEC championship. In your entire tenure, what is good enough? What will keep uh, the Aggie faithful on the side of Jimbo Fisher? You you look at their schedule, obviously, opening up with New Mexico. I think you open up with three wins, New Mexico at Miami and ULM. Then you you got Auburn, Arkansas. Look, Auburn to me is going to be a big mystery. Will Will Hugh Freeze be able to get get a lot out of them? Will Will Hugh Freeze be able to coach Peyton Thorne up into being a competent quarterback, a quarterback that will run his offensive system? 
Auburn, I think, has a t- has an ability or has a possibility of being a really, really terrible team, but also has a possibility of really competing and probably winning some games that you do not expect them to win. So uh, A&M opens with an interesting uh, an open uh, interesting slate. Excuse me, you got Auburn, then Arkansas, then you come you you got Alabama at home October seventh. So like you're starting off a lot like they did last year, didn't they? Start off. Uh, uh, two no two seasons ago they were undefeated. Uh, they, no, they've they've had they had an easy start to their season last year. Uh, in and then uh, but they did lose. Uh, excuse me, they they did lose early. Uh, let me see. Yeah, now that I'm like brainstorming and remembering it, they lost early to yes, it was App State. They lost again. They shouldn't have lost it, but uh, they ended up. You know, they were what four and two coming into the Alabama game. Uh, and, and so I do think that they're going to have a good. You know, a good early start to their season. How will Jimbo and Bobby Petrino react? How will Jimbo and Bobby Petrino work together? Can they get the most out of Connor Wegman? Uh, you heard Anaya Smith yesterday at the podium basically say when Alabama and all or when Alabama and Texas A&M play, it's going to be on. That's what he said. He said it's going to be on the up. I think that's what he said. And it's like, all right, you guys, you know, it's great to beat Alabama one time. Uh, actually twice if you've been in the league. Thank you, Johnny Manziel, and then two years ago. But like AM, I don't really know if there's a look the rivalry off the field. The rivalry really is between Jimbo and, and Nick Saban is between the money brokers. I think the AM power brokers think that there's a, a rivalry at stake, but you look at the records and you look at how the football games have played out since AM have been in the conference and Obviously, last year's uh, last year's game came down to the last throw. You're throwing into the end zone and losing. Uh, but but ah, A&M just has not been competing with Alabama at the level. Uh, you know, you've had many, many, many blowouts already. Uh, yeah, you went out to College Station, the A.J. McCarron, Johnny Menzel, kind of a huge shootout. That was a great game. That was a lot of fun to, to, to uh, experience. But outside of, what, three or four games, it's really been one-sided affair since AM has come into the conference. So I'm not sure if I'm really buying into buying into an AM Alabama rivalry. I think it's just AM wants to be taken seriously and you're going to have to come for the king and actually beat us on a more consistent level. Maybe maybe Jimbo Fisher and Bobby Petrino can do that as they work together. Alright, so that's really going to do it for my show today. I really appreciate everybody who's watching us as we're driving up to Nashville. We are on the way to Nashville. My, myself, Katie Windham, and Blake Byler. We're going to meet Austin Hannon. Austin Hannon already in the room for Bama Central and BamaCentral.com. You can follow us at Bama Central on the uh, Twitter machine at Bama Central SI on Instagram. You can follow us, really find us on Facebook. We've become one of our 50,000 followers on the Facebook machine. Bama, just search uh, Bama Central uh, all of Alabama on uh, Sports Illustrated. We are the Sports Illustrated home of the Alabama Crimson Tide. I'm really looking forward to getting up to SEC Media Day. You guys can follow our other Bama Central podcast, Blue Collar Unplugged and All Things Bama. We're going to bring you another great show tomorrow. I really plan on, I'm hoping, I'm hoping it all falls through and, fall, and works out. I'm planning on having four or five minutes with Kool-Aid, with Dallas Turner, and with J.C. Latham tomorrow. And hopefully that will be the meat of our program as uh, we are up at SEC Media Days. I'm excited to be there. It'll be my first time in person. Uh, so that's going to do it for our show today. For, for Bama Central, follow us at BamaCentral.com. Follow my boss at Writing Walsh. We appreciate Chris Walsh putting us on each and every single day. We're at Joe Gaither 6. You can send me your comments, your questions, your queries, and complaints. The DMs are always open. You can tell us how funny we look. I'm going to get a haircut so that I can look good on camera tomorrow. That's going to do it for us on the program. 
Man, big thanks to everybody hanging out. I hope you have a great Tuesday and enjoy it as we continue SEC Media Days right here on the Joe Gatham Show, right here on Down Central and Down Central.